Well, good evening, everyone. Please turn in God's Word to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is found on page 1157 of the Pew Bible. And we're continuing in our series in Mark's Gospel. Mark has collectively gathered a number of episodes where we see Jesus' power. And his power is demonstrated over nature by him calming the storm. It's demonstrated over the powers of darkness by him removing a legion of demons from a man. And this evening we see his power over sickness and death. And in each episode we read of amazement. People recognize that Jesus was no ordinary man, but that his power pointed to him being divine. So let's read God's word, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Listen, this is God's word. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when they saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat.
Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, we live in a divided world, and that is very clearly seen in politics. But even in politics, unity can be found. And this was evident back in 2013 in the UK during what would have been Prime Minister's Questions. Prime Minister's Questions is the opportunity for all the members of Parliament to question the Prime Minister. And it can be very contentious, but it's also part of the theatrics of British politics. At that time, Gordon Brown was the Prime Minister and David Cameron was the leader of the opposition. And David Cameron's six-year-old son had just recently died. And in response, Gordon Brown, he cancelled Prime Minister's questions and the House of Commons was united in offering their sympathies and their condolences. Gordon Brown, on behalf of the House, expressed his sorrow and death of Cameron's son, Ivan. His words were all the more poignant because Brown and his wife had also experienced the loss of a child. And Brown told the chamber, every child is precious and irreplaceable, and the death of a child is an unbearable sorrow that no parent should ever have to endure. Politics can sometimes divide us, But there's a common human bond that unites us in sympathy and compassion at times of trial and in support for each other at times of grief. Illness and death that results from illness are the great levelers of life. No one can escape it. Doesn't matter your politics, doesn't matter your religion, doesn't matter your wealth. And in our passage today, we see two very different people who both face sickness and death, and yet both put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so in illness and death, you are to put your faith in Christ. He is more powerful. And so I want you to notice from today's passage, in illness or death, put your faith in Jesus Christ, for he was crushed, and yet he overcame. And so in him, you are raised up. So firstly, consider illness and death are part of life, that helps you see your need, verse 21. So Jesus has left the demoniac on one side of the Sea of Galilee, where he demonstrated his authority over evil. He then travels by boat to the other side of the lake, and is quite likely to Capernaum. Straight away, we read that he, he is in a throng of people. And we read not just of a multitude, but a great multitude. But within the crowd, we learn of two people. There is Jairus, who is the synagogue ruler. Most likely, it's the synagogue where Jesus had taught at, where he had driven out that evil spirit, and where he had conducted healings on the Sabbath that got him into trouble with the religious authorities. A synagogue ruler was the leader of the synagogue. He was in charge of running the services. And so he would have been a respected man. We read of him having servants, and so he was a wealthy man. Mark records his name, Jairus, which shows his importance, as well as the fact that readers of Mark's gospel could verify this event. Jairus had only one daughter who was 12 years old, and she's seriously ill. The other person who Jesus interacts with in the crowd is this woman. We're not even told her name. She's not seen as an important person. She is ill with a condition that she has had for 12 years. She is poor, 
and her condition would deem her to be unclean, and so an outcast of society. These are two very different people. The woman has had 12 years of illness. Jairus has had 12 years of happiness with his daughter. But they both come to Jesus as a result of their hardship. Hardship and suffering, illness and death, these are things we are familiar with. And we can relate to what's going on here. We read of how they're both brought to their knees before Jesus. Well, how often are you brought to your knees because you realize you can do nothing? Well, this past week, the church got a new copier, and I was trying to figure out how to get it to print and to fold from my own laptop. And I knew after looking at every tab possible on my computer that I was never going to figure it out. So I needed outside help. I called or I contacted tech support, and I still need more tech support to work that out. Well, in all of life, you are needy. You are weak. And illness and the death that results from illness, they're beyond your ability. Now, in your desperation, you need to turn outside of yourself to find hope. Well, where do we find that hope? Well, secondly, consider it's not about the level of faith, but that your faith is in Jesus Christ. Verses 22 to 28. Jairus comes falling to the ground before Jesus. Now, this is not normal behavior for a dignified man to behave in this way, even more so before Jesus, who the religious leaders had called a blasphemer. They were planning and looking for ways to kill him. But Jairus, out of devotion to his dying daughter, he begs Jesus for help. He's willing to suffer the shame if Jesus can help him. Jairus clearly believes Jesus. Maybe he had seen Jesus heal in the past. Maybe he had seen his care for suffering people in his own synagogue. And listen to his request. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. He saw Jesus as his only hope for his dying daughter. Hughes writes, Jairus' infant faith was going to bring great rewards. Jesus goes with him to his home, but the journey is hampered because of this large crowd. I'm sure you've seen ambulances trying to weave through heavy traffic, and it can be slow, and it can be frustrating to watch because you know they're in a hurry and that every minute counts. Well, imagine what's going through Jairus' mind as their journey is hindered by this crowd. Every minute counts for his dying daughter. But in the crowd, we meet another desperate person, a woman who is suffering from a terrible condition. Twelve years she's been ill with a flow of blood. Now, we're not sure exactly what the cause of this was, but it had made her ceremonially unclean. Jewish law specifically spoke about blood, referring to life and death. Blood was reserved for sacrifice, and so why women were seen as unclean during their monthly period. It's not because the law was against women, but because blood was seen as sacred and life-giving. This woman would therefore be unclean all of the time. She could never approach the presence of God. She could never enter the temple courts. And with the additional laws of Judaism, she was not to be even touched 
And so this resulted in her being an outcast. She would be full of shame about her condition. And it's therefore unlikely that she would be married, that she would have children to take care of her. And her condition, we read, has left her impoverished. She spent all her money on medical help, but it would do nothing for her. She's tried everything. And so she approaches Jesus, not hoping not to be noticed. She thinks if she can simply touch his clothes, then she'd be healed. Well, Jesus' clothes, they do not contain healing power. Her thinking is superstitious. And yet she is still demonstrating faith in Christ. This outcast, she has put herself in this vulnerable position of being in the midst of this multitude because she did believe that Jesus could help her. In a few weeks' time, God willing, we will be taking an airplane to Ireland. Now, my understanding of aerodynamics and jet propulsion is pretty limited. There may be other passengers and hopefully the pilot who understands exactly the right forces involved in enabling that plane to climb into the air, to stay there for about eight hours, and to land safely into Dublin. But in the end, God willing, we all get to our destination, whether we understand how it works or not. Well, this woman's faith, she may have had limited understanding, but she was trusting in the right person. Charles Spurgeon says, the power to deliver us is not in the faith, but in the God in whom faith relies. Your faith may be weak, but as long as it is in Christ, that's what matters. So this passage helps us see why you're to put your faith in Christ. For thirdly, notice Christ has removed, Christ has power to remove your shame and raise you up as his daughter. Christ came into this broken world to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up their wounds. And one day he would do this completely. And we read of this in Revelation 21 verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Well, here on this lecture, we see a preview of this work in the midst of the crowd of Jesus removing sin and brokenness from the world. For Jesus heals this woman, and we read that it happened immediately. The bleeding stopped. Her weakness had been transformed to strength. But that would not be the end of her encounter with Jesus. Jesus was aware that power had gone out of him. There had been a cost. She was unclean. Whatever an unclean person touches, it too becomes unclean. However, Christ absorbs her uncleanness and in return gives his cleanness to her. That's Christ's power. I don't forget the crowd were pushing up against Jesus, and yet he knew that someone had been healed. So he asked, who touched my clothes? And this seems a strange question for Jesus to ask when he is in the midst of this throng of people. And this can raise a theological question of how can an all-knowing God not know who touched him? Wilmhurst responds, the short answer to what is quite a difficult question is that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, was omniscient, all-knowing in his divine nature, but had limited knowledge 
in his human nature. But what is more important is the fact that Christ knows those who put their faith in him. Hughes writes, in a sea of a million hands, Christ will see the one that is raised in faith, though it be infantile and imperfect. And Jesus had a purpose with this woman. He wants to draw her out. She approaches him, and like Jairus, she falls to her feet, to Jesus' feet. She's fearful, and she tells Jesus the whole truth of what had happened. Everyone would now know how long that she had been suffering. They would know how she has spent everything she had to be healed. Everyone hears the story. And that's the point. Jesus wants to bring the social outcast inside. It wasn't enough for her to be healed physically. He wanted her to know she'd been healed spiritually. Not because she had touched his clothes, but because he is a power to make her clean. And consider the title that Jesus calls his woman. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We don't know the woman's name, but we do know her identity as a daughter of God. This woman is an anonymous woman to Jesus, but to Jesus, she's a daughter. This woman was an outcast who did not belong, but now she is in the family of Jesus Christ. We live in a society with many people who feel like outcasts. Loneliness is a serious problem. One study found that loneliness is as harmful to physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I'm not sure how they know that, but because of loneliness, people do drastic things, either to dull the fact that they're in this state of loneliness, or they reach out to those who will only harm them. No, you're to come to Jesus Christ. Touch him by your faith. And in him you will find healing. In him you will find belonging. He says to you, go in peace. That is the power that Christ has to transform your life. And notice that he's interested in this lowly woman who would do nothing for his public image. Jesus reaches into her shame and delivers her from it. And he does the same in your life. You may be battling shame as well. Christ can make you clean so you have peace. So Jesus has power to heal. But does Jesus have power against the greatest enemy, that of death? Well, fourthly, put your faith in Christ, even in the face of death, verses 35 to 41. Well, there is another much-loved daughter, and that's Jairus' daughter. And this delay would have been excruciating for Jairus. And then the words that he had been dreading come to him. His daughter had died. He is told there's no point in bringing Jesus now. This may have been a rebuke. Stop acting so desperate by asking this man who's not reputable to help you. Well, Jesus instead tells Jairus not to be afraid, but to have faith. Wait, this man's daughter had just died. You don't say have faith. No, you offer your sympathies, your condolences. What a cruel thing for Jesus to say. Unless Jesus has confidence that he could change the situation. 
And so Jesus was testing Jairus' faith, not simply for Jesus to heal his daughter, but now to raise her from the dead. Well, Jairus doesn't tell Jesus to go. He invites him to come. And they come to the house, and we read that the mourners were present. This was the cultural practice to hire mourners when someone dies. And the fact that they were present so soon after she dies, it just shows how ill this girl must have been in that her death was expectant. When Jesus says the little girl was sleeping, we read of how they laughed, they ridiculed him. These are the professionals. They know when someone is dead. This is absurd to say that she is only sleeping. Well, Jesus takes charge. He removes the mourners. Instead, only those who had faith would see his power at work. And he takes the dead girl by her hand and he speaks to her the words talithakum, which means little child, get up. And this shows the care of Jesus. And it clearly made an impression on Peter, the source for Mark's gospel, and that he remembers this event so vividly. This girl is a dead corpse, but Jesus treats her as if she is a sleeping child. And that's because Jesus wakes her from the dead as if he was waking her in the morning after a night's sleep. The little girl gets up. She is resurrected. Her parents and the disciples, we read, they're overcome with amazement. Who is this man? This girl was dead, but via Jesus' touch and words, she is now alive. That's how Jesus responds to the death of those who have faith in him. He ends death and brings life. Death is something we all have to face. It's tragic. It's an intrusion into our life. Just imagine the pain that Jairus and his wife was going through. The world had been completely turned upside down by the death of their only daughter. But Jesus comes into their home and he responds to their faith by giving them hope. Jesus has power over death. And when death comes into your life, and it will, you can have peace. You can trust Christ, for he has power over death, and that death is not the end. I was reading the account of Helen Johnson, a 17th century covenanter, and this woman, she went through much grief. Both her father and her husband were executed, but she was now caring for her cousin who also faced execution. And she allowed herself to be imprisoned with him, to be able to care for him. But before his death, she writes, he was filled with joy and the peace of Christ. His face seemed to shine, and in his prayers, he sounded like one already in heaven. And so she saw in him God's strength made perfect in weakness. Why such confidence in death? Well, they believed that Jesus is more powerful than death. And you two are to put your faith in Christ. Trust that Christ has the power to deliver you from death and to deliver your loved ones from death. And that's because Jesus has defeated death in himself. And so finally notice Christ was crushed and he overcame death so you can be raised up. Verses 42 and 43. So the setting for uh, this event where the crowds of people, they're pushing and they're shoving up against Jesus. They pressed upon him. They were crushing him so literally that power was coming out of him. 
And this points forward to another crushing moment in Jesus' life. The night before Jesus' death on the cross, he was in the garden of Gethsemane, which literally means the olive press. He was all alone, his disciples, they could not stay awake to be with him. But while he was there, he sweated blood. That was the pressure that he was under. That was the weight of people's sins that he knew that he would take on himself. He literally felt the crush of it when blood was squeezed out. But this did not deter him. He fulfilled his mission by dying on that cross and so paid the penalty of death for sin. But death would not keep him captive. Three days later, he arose again. And so in him, in his redemptive work, you can have confidence even in death. Well, how are you to live with this knowledge that Christ has overcome death? Well, recognize, like the woman, like Jairus, who were on their knees pleading before Jesus, how he raised them up. They don't need to be afraid. Their faith is in the one who can actually help them. And likewise, you don't need to be afraid. Death is often described as the last taboo. No one wants to talk about it because they are afraid of it. But because of Christ, there is no reason for the believer to be afraid. He will raise you up. Death is not the end. Thomas Watson writes, We are more confident to rise from our graves than to rise from our beds. Instead of fear, we can have joy. We can feast Notice what Jesus said after raising Jairus' daughter. He commands no one to know, but instead give the girl something to eat. Jesus is not out for publicity here. He wants them to experience the joy of having their daughter back to life. He doesn't want her parents to feel the pressure of going out to the crowd and trying to explain what had just happened. And in the same way, he encouraged the woman in her faith. Jesus is encouraging Jairus in his faith. And so he wants them to celebrate. He wants them to experience joy. And that their daughter is now alive. That's evident when he says, give her something to eat. Scrivener writes, Jesus transforms a funeral into a feast. He swallows up death and brings feasting joy. You need this Jesus in your life. So in the pain and in the suffering of life, Jesus has come and he brings peace. And so instead of sadness and pain, he brings joy and feasting. Jesus is your only hope in sickness and in death. And so whatever you face this coming week, whatever suffering comes your way, remember Jesus is your hope. He is alive. He has defeated death. And so in him, he raises you up. One song titled, Because He Lives, he puts it well when it says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. So in illness or in death, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He was crushed, and yet he overcame. So in him, you're raised up. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful account of how Christ healed this woman and raised this man's daughter from the dead.
Lord, we thank you for the power of Christ. And yet, Lord, our faith is often weak. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith, that we would be trusting in you, knowing that you are the one who has overcome. You have removed shame. You have removed the sting of death because of your redemptive work. And so, Lord, help us to have confidence, even in the face of sickness and death, because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm books to Psalm 16d. Psalm 16 speaks of God's preserving care. And the basis for God's care is because he wouldn't let his holy ones see decay. And this speaks of Christ not being abandoned in the grave, but rising again three days later. And so it is in Christ that we have our hope. So let's praise God with confidence in him as we sing these words. Let's stand and sing Psalm 16d. (laughs) 